Hi everyone, I'm Laura Kaluger, Senior Editor with MHN, and you're listening to Mission Success, Women in Multifamily, the monthly podcast series dedicated to female leaders in the multifamily industry. In this episode, we'll be talking about financing multifamily projects in today's volatile economic environment with Navi Sandhu, Senior Vice President of Acquisitions, Finance and Development at Fifield Companies. Navi is responsible for evaluating multifamily development projects across various markets, along with procuring debt and equity financing. She is the force behind Fifield's recent entry into the greater Miami market. Welcome to Mission Success, Navi. Thank you so much, Laura. First, let's talk a bit about the multifamily market today. The financial climate seems to be changing rapidly with, with numerous challenges on the horizon from rising interest rates to development costs, a looming recession, you name it. Yet, the demand is clearly there. What are the key steps to getting development done today? Yeah, so that is um, so that's a great question, and you know I do want to touch on um, the comment about demand. So you know essentially everything that we look at is either a supply or a demand story. So how that translates, you know, into real estate is if it's a, a population growth story or if it's a supply constrained market from a housing perspective. And we're always looking for, um, you know, what what's the story in each market that we're entering? Mm-hmm. And each market should have an element of both, but typically one of these factors is the driver. So we are in markets such as Miami, Phoenix, and Denver, which have benefited from above national average population growth due to being in migration markets. And thus the success of these deals is due to the growth stories essentially the need for rental housing and um, consequently rental rent growth is propelled by the influx of the new residents moving into these markets. Um, We're also in markets like the Inland Empire in California, which has a very limited rental pipeline for both existing inventory and new development. And thus the constrained supply of quality rental housing results in the need for more development and ultimately the success of what we're working on. So, I mean, so firstly, um, no matter what market environment we're in, we are looking for one of those two elements. Um, The second thing in terms of uh, today's environment is time. And we talk about how valuable time is in development deals. Time is valuable in any market cycle, but it's very, very important today when we are in a highly uncertain environment. So for example, uncertainty in interest costs, uncertainty of construction cost escalations, and uncertainty of what investors expect in terms of returns. So what I mean by time and how that affects us as developers is essentially trying to get time from our land sellers and time, uh, more time before we have to put up significant non-refundable deposits and ultimately buying the land. So having this time before we as a developer need to invest significant dollars is really important as we you know, look for more information and clarity in this market. So you know, what we are doing in, um, in the deals that we're working on is as we are negotiating our initial contracts, uh, you know, we're trying to pull all the levers that we can to negotiate more time for due diligence, negotiate more time before we have to um, submit non-refundable deposits and negotiating as much time as we can before we're buying the land. Um, and then I'll also say, Having great partners and specifically people at those Mm -hmm. firms is key to success, is the key to success for any deal. 
Um, and what this means on the development side is having experienced architects, engineers, general contractors, and zoning attorneys. And especially important for a group like Fifield, where we're based in Chicago, but we are operating in um, markets across the country. And um, we need to ensure that we have really, really strong and experienced local partners who know how to navigate those specific markets. Um, and then on the financial side, having really great lenders and equity partners. And um, you know, ultimately uh, with all these groups, groups that are willing to move fast when we need to, so, and pause when we need to. So mm-hmm. if we're working on a deal and, um, you know, we, uh, we have um, some challenges with zoning, for example, um, we need to have a local project team that can help us navigate those challenges and move quickly to find solutions. Um, we also need partners to help share in some level of risk. So um, that comes both on the, you know, the general contractor and the architect side and also comes, you know, it's also really important on the capital market side. Um, with our equity partners. Mm-hmm. And um, and then also, um, you know, partners that are open to working through problems as they arise during the development process. And, and really, it's during the construction process, you know, there are always either, um, you know, cost escalations that we haven't really accounted for, and no one could predict, and um, understanding how we're all sharing in those escalations, or, you know, actually specific to other elements of the construction, you know, making sure we have partners that can work through those problems. So, um, so, so I would say that those are some of the elements that are really important in getting a development deal done today. And with all the difficulties and, and challenges that we, we both uh, mentioned before, how difficult has planning become? What strategies are a multifamily developers using to evaluate growth markets and accurately plan their financials over an 18 to 24 month project cycle usually, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, I would say that right now, the outlook for rent growth is not the same as it was 12 months ago. And especially in um, many of these growth markets. So where in some of these markets, um, we were seeing double digit year over year rent growth expectations. Um, that's now down to single digits. Mm-hmm. So um, rent growth is still strong, but it is not going to be, you know, 12 to 20 percent that we were seeing in the last two years. So that's a key adjustment that we as developers need to make as we are evaluating projects. And also, you know, while we're under, while we're in the development process and while we're under construction, we are constantly, um, you know, reevaluating our development pro formas to account for these new expectations. So, um, so that's number one, I would say, um, a big change that we as a big adjustment that we as developers need to make. Additionally, uh, the cost of home ownership is is a, a key metric when we're evaluating viability of a project and ultimately demand for rental housing. And in certain markets, the cost of home ownership can be 40 to 50% of pre-tax income. And, um, and especially when you factor in the cost, the increasing cost of homes, the mortgage payments um, based on higher interest rates, insurance costs, which have gone up across the country, right. all of these global disasters, and real estate taxes. I mean, those are going up across in, in every market that we're in. 
So ultimately, um, potential homeowners are then forced into being renters for a longer period of time. And, um, you know, we still have to see where prices of homes go with these rising interest rates. The other three factors are still remain high and ultimately bode well for renter demand. So in terms of our outlook for the next, um, you know, 18 to 24 months, we do know that rental demand will remain strong just because the cost of homeownership is you know, is so high. High. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in terms of how difficult it's become in the past six months, uh, you know, I'll say it was equally as difficult in the last two years um, because of the uncertainty that arose during the COVID pandemic. When the pandemic first happened, we first saw um, there was a few trends that were happening. Um, folks were uh, escalating their decisions to buy homes. So if they were going to be a homeowner um, and they, you know, they were making that decision much quicker during the mm-hmm. um, We then saw, uh, we also saw a lot of renters moving to suburban markets or markets that offered a better quality of life, whether, you know, whether that means weather or nature, we were seeing that big shift. So what if that created so much uncertainty for what would happen with urban markets? Um, But then we saw the urban demand bounce back and we saw tremendous rent growth just across the board. And then shortly thereafter, we saw unprecedented increases in construction costs, whether it was lumber or steel. Um, There was just unprecedented increases. So I would say the last, you know, 18 to 24 months were really difficult because of all those elements. And now what we're looking at is high inflation and high interest rates trying to combat that inflation. And ultimately what that's created now is a lot of uncertainty. So we don't know you know, where are construction costs going to go? Are they going to go down or is that escalation going to ease? Um, you know, that's to be determined. And um, and ultimately, you know, um, are we going to remain at these high rent levels? Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty around that. So so I would say ultimately the last two years have been a roller coaster and, you know, the next six months will also be a roller coaster. Um, it's just so hold tight. <laughs> yeah, it's just a different type of challenge. <laughs> Right. So are all these challenges already causing a slowdown in multifamily construction starts? Uh, Are developers already experiencing difficulties in accessing funds for their projects? Have you noticed anything in the markets that you're active in? Yes. So um, so I will say that we have seen a slowdown in the capital markets. So some equity partners that we work with are limited due to something called the denominator effect. So most institutional investors have allocations of where they invest. So they're either investing in stocks or bonds or real estate or private equity. And because of the decline in in the stock market, for example, they now look overweighted towards real estate because real estate values take a little bit longer to catch up. Right. So, um, so what's happening is some of these investors are limiting new investments in real estate until they can offload existing real estate assets to maintain their allocation. So, so that's one element of um, where we're seeing a slowdown. We're also just seeing um, a slowdown from investors because they're just hesitant because of, you know, they're trying to understand and discover where our returns going to be. For, um, for the assets they're, they're investing in. So there is some discovery from a return perspective that's happening. So if interest rates go up, 
today? Where will that asset trade two to three years from now? Um, people are still trying to figure that out. And then lenders are also facing allocation issues um, because uh, some of the lenders that we work with have not been able to get paid off on outstanding loans due to the lack of transaction activity across the market. And so what they're doing is they're also limiting new activity. So essentially what that means for us as developers is, you know, it's not that the capital markets are stalled. It's more that, okay, what we need to do is we just need to, to wait this out and be patient. And, um, and then that's where, you know, I come back to my comments about time. We then spend our time trying to renegotiate timing of land takedowns with sellers or, um, you know, if we already own the land, we just have to understand that, you know, we're going to probably hold this land six or nine months longer than we anticipated before we get to construction start. So, so the slowdown in the capital markets is just resulting in us looking to push back some of our starts. I will say in the markets that we're in, we have not seen that slowdown just yet in terms of construction starts. I think it's a little bit too early to tell um, mm -hmm. because, you know, all these interest rates have, uh, you know, all this movement has happened in the last three to four months. So it is a little bit early to tell, but we do expect um, less experienced developers to either um, drop, drop projects um, which would result in a slowdown and um, and ultimately for more developers to push, for more experienced developers like us to push construction starts. So um, so that is what we, we expect. Um, we haven't seen that yet. I think it's a little bit too early to tell. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us what will be the best options to finance a multifamily real estate investment in the next six to 12 months? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but <laughs> you have yeah. uh, lots of insights from, from the market. What are your expectations when, when it comes to securing project financing in the multifamily industry going forward? Yes. So, so I'll touch on, you know, the debt side and the equity side. Mm -hmm. So on the debt side, um, you know, we do expect that deals will get done with less leverage and that's what we're preparing for. So if a deal would have been capitalized with 60% debt, 60 or 65% construction debt, um, it's now likely down to 55% because the debt yield requirements from these banks has gone up. And, you know, they're they're just looking to they're just more conservative with how they are now sizing their construction loans. So that's one shift that we have that we have seen and we're actively experiencing as we're raising money for our projects. So I would say the first thing is, you know, be prepared for less leverage. Mm -hmm. And um, and if we and if you're looking for higher leverage, it is going to cost more. So that's, you know, that's one thing that we are prepared for. Um, and then on the equity side, uh, you know, we do think there will be institutional equity partners in the market active, but they will be looking for lower hanging fruit. So basically deals with rich returns and a deal that can get done with a low development cost basis and where rents are very predictable. So, so really the low hanging fruit. For the middle of the fairway deals, they'll likely still get capitalized, but um, perhaps not with an institutional investor. So, um, so those deals may either get done with higher leverage in the form of mezzanine debt or preferred equity. So, you know, you have your 55% construction loan, and then you perhaps take that up to 75% leverage with, um, you know, a second position 
with a, uh, a mezzanine loan or a preferred equity position. So, so you're looking at slightly higher leverage and then the remaining equity, you would syndicate that to, you know, you would basically pass the hat around to family or friends or to high net worth investors or retail investors through crowdfunding. So, um, so essentially getting more creative on the capitalization through either higher leverage or syndicating and or syndicating equity. So, um, you know, but we always say all you need is one investor to get a deal done. So it's, <laughs> Well, it's just a matter of finding that one investor. Speaking of creative, I know you've been instrumental in building a relationship with CrowdStreet, the commercial real estate investment platform that uses crowdfunding to mm -hmm. connect investors with real estate opportunities. Tell us more about the ways crowdfunding has helped Fifield fund its projects, Lady. Yes, yes. So, so um, in 2021, Fifield was, um, we had two very successful fundraisers um, on a platform called, called CrowdStreet. So CrowdStreet is uh, the platform we're familiar with. And um, we raised a small portion of our general partner fund on CrowdStreet. And we also raised um, equity for our Aventura multifamily project on CrowdStreet. And both of those executions were very, very successful. And the experience was really exciting because um, you essentially prepare for six to eight weeks just for the moment of mm -hmm. when you open up the deal for investment. And when that moment happens, you know, when you open up the deal, you could see how much investment interest and how much how many commitments you've gotten in just a matter of seconds or minutes. So, you know, it's a really, really exciting process and it's a really exciting moment. Um, and, you know, when uh, you know, when that happens. Um, but in terms of how um, crowdfunding, I think, can help groups like Fifield fund its projects, I mean, crowdfunding is, has basically opened up another channel of accessing capital for developers and owner operators. And, um, and they're doing it in such a way where um, it is, uh, you know, it's, it's being done in an institutional manner. So, mm -hmm. for example, you know, as we're working with CrowdStreet, CrowdStreet has um, very experienced underwriters and very experienced real estate investment professionals. They have an investment committee, and these folks are there vetting deals before they could get on the platform. So, you know, so they're doing, um, so they're allowing uh, high net worth and retail investors to invest in real estate but doing it, but adding that institutional quality of due diligence. So that's great for groups like us because it has opened up this other channel of capital. Mm -hmm. And in um, such a large part of the viability and success of a deal is, is the capital structure and crowdfunding has enabled so many project, many attractive projects to come to fruition in a time when the capital markets, you know, when your typical investors were in the sidelines. So so in, in early 2021, many of many institutional investors were were on the sidelines because of uncertainty and crowdfunding was a great source for us to, you know, make our deals come to life. Um, and then I, I think that from the investor's point of view, it's also important to touch on that. What crowdfunding has done, it, it's allowed um, smaller high net worth individuals who typically would not have access to these institutional quality development deals or acquisitions mm -hmm. to to have access to those returns that those deals generate. And so um, 
And so that is also really important. It's, you know, sort of creating a more equitable, um, you know, equitable access to, uh, to, to smaller high net worth individuals for smaller high net worth individuals to real estate and, um, and ultimately diversify their investments. So, so I also think it's important to hit um, on the investor's point of view as well. Mm-hmm. And how do you expect the role of crowdfunding to evolve considering the current economic context? Is, is crowdfunding the future of multifamily investment? I wouldn't say that crowdfunding is the future of multifamily investment, but I will say that crowdfunding, um, you know, as it evolves, it will become more of, it'll be more commonly accepted as a form of capital raising. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm not really familiar with other crowdfunding platforms. CrowdStreet is the platform that we have worked a lot with, but CrowdStreet, what they do is they have minimum investment requirements for their investors. They have minimum net worth requirements for their investors. And essentially what they are trying to do is they're trying to um, make sure that their investor pool is familiar with the level of risk that they're taking. So I think that um, what's going to happen is uh, groups like CrowdStreet and other crowdfunding platforms are going to have to ensure that the investors that are investing on their platforms Um, are financially savvy in some sense or have financially savvy advisors and understand the investment risks of of backing a real estate developer or backing an acquisitions. And and I guess what I mean to say is having that sort of guideline for investors will prevent scenarios where investors feel like, hey, I didn't know what I was signing up for. Mm-hmm. And that's really what everyone is concerned about with crowdfunding is, are you going to be in a situation where if your deal didn't deliver the return that you wanted, that your retail investors are going to come back and somehow, you know, file some sort of lawsuit against you um, because they felt like they were misled. But if CrowdStreet, you know, sources the right investors, there's less risk of that happening. So it becomes more acceptable to include crowdfunding in your capital stack. I do want to say that I think many investors right now are cautious um, and hesitant about their investment activity, both institutional investors, family offices, high net worth investors, um, smaller high net worth investors. So I won't say that crowdfunding is going to to backfill every investment, but, um, but I will say crowdfunding is just another channel to access It's just another way for real estate developers and real estate operators to access capital. And I think it's going to to keep continuing and it's they're going to understand all the levers that they need to pull to, number one, attract the right investors and number two, make it more acceptable and for real estate developers and owners to seek out crowdfunding as a means to fund deals. Let's go back to growth markets a bit. Uh, Fifield has recently entered the greater Miami market with a luxury apartment building under construction in Aventura and a mixed-use building in the city's Wynwood neighborhood. How are these projects shaping up? Have you experienced any challenges so far in securing financing? Um, yeah, so the Aventura project, um, so that deal, we started construction in late 2021, and um, we are currently 40% complete, and we expect to deliver in the summer of 2023. Um, Luckily for that deal, we had locked in construction pricing 
before the large escalations mm -hmm. in concrete and steel that happened in early 2022. And so um, the development cost and our development basis for that deal is actually well below where deals are underwriting today. Um, and the market, that specific submarket also experienced a 25% increase in rents from where we were originally underwriting. So we think that deal is gonna perform quite well. Um, I will say that deal has not been insulated from construction cost escalations and timing issues. Uh, we did see a um, about a 5% increase in the pricing of concrete and steel, but luckily we had really great um, lenders who worked with us to essentially upsize our loans. And so, so that goes back to my original comment of having great partners. So, um, but ultimately that deal um, we think is going to perform really, really well. And um, regarding Wynwood, so we will hopefully be breaking ground on that deal in the next three to four months. And Wynwood is a market that, you know, the reason for its growth is because it was upzoned in 2017, which has propelled so much housing, office, hospitality, and entertainment development in that area. And, um, and you know, Wynwood is also such a well-situated sub-market right in the middle of Miami, off of Biscayne, 15 minutes from the airport. I mean, it was a market that was bound to get developed by how infill it is. Um, and for that deal, we have, you know, what's really been the struggle there has been the long um, entitlement and permitting process. And, you know, in Miami, it is quite a process to to ultimately get our building permits. So, so we've just been navigating that for the last year. Um, and we are not immune to construction cost escalations either for that deal. We did experience um, two, two large escalations since we started working on this in 2020, but the sub markets uh, has performed really well from a rent growth perspective. And there's a huge amount of rental demand um, so we are still able to underwrite higher rents, which makes this deal uh, pretty attractive. Where do you draw your inspiration from? Real estate is a relationship-based industry that requires a substantial commitment of time and, and effort. How demanding is your job? Yeah, so, um, so many career paths in real estate are quite demanding and specifically in the development role. Um, and I'd say that there's, you know, there's a few reasons for it being so demanding. So number one, there's no real right or wrong answer and no real right or wrong solution. So mm -hmm. it's all about proper judgment, uh, appropriately assessing risk and return, and, um, and then always having a, a defensible reason for, for the approach that you took. So um, so, you know, there's always this element, you know, you're always like sort of struggling in your mind as to which way you want to go and how you want to tackle a solution. So, so that makes it quite demanding. Number two is that it's, uh, you know, development and generally real estate is such a capital intensive business. And mm -hmm. we are always so cognizant and so careful of how dollars are being invested because you know new facts and new situations emerge about that deal every week, every day. So we're constantly reevaluating how we're spending dollars, reevaluating the business strategy. So there's always this, um, you know, there's always this constant. Uh, I feel like there's always this constant journey that you're going on. Mm -hmm. for 
deal that you're working on. And, um, and then because real estate deals take a lot of time, you know, at least three to four years to really come full cycle from acquisition to development to disposition and, you know, even longer than that, I'll say that it takes a long time before it feels like you have really accomplished something. Uh And, you know, and so that, you know, you have to really have patience and you really have to be thinking about the long game where you're in the development field. Um, But what I've been told is that once you walk in the doors of a development that you worked on and it's completed with a bow on top, you look (laughs) so satisfied and so accomplished and maybe even have tears in your eyes. I'm still waiting for that moment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you'll, you'll find enough motivation to move on to the next project, maybe. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And then, you know, I also do want to add that from where we sit as a developer, we also have a really interesting perspective um, of the economy. So we're working with both land sellers and we understand how, um, you know, land is pricing in local markets, how are sellers thinking about their strategies and then we're also learning about um, the levers of construction cost pricing and where are the escalations coming from? How are subcontractors in those local markets thinking about their business? And then we're also learning about you know, capital partners and we're talking to capital partners every day on their view of the market and how they're investing. And then on top of that, we're also plugged into to renters and to actual people. And where do renters want to live and what are their preferences and what are they seeking in their in the spaces they choose to live in? So so we have such an interesting perspective on the economy and it's really empowering. And so that's definitely also where I draw inspiration from. I also know you're very much involved in providing educational opportunities for women in all aspects and sectors of real estate. Could you please reveal more about what it's like to serve on ULI's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusivity Committee? What type of programs are you part of? Yes, so I am very involved in the Urban Lands Institute's Chicago chapter, and I'm actually the co-chair of the local program committee, and Mm -hmm. I'm also on the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. And so, um, you know, specific to the, the DEI committee, so we're a newly formed committee, Um, You know, it's a group of very diverse professionals in Chicago from from finance to brokerage to architects to engineers. So it's just a really great group of diverse people. And what we are trying to figure out is where will we make the most impact when it comes to furthering, you know, DEI? And what we have decided is um, what's really important for us to focus on is pipeline. And trying to ensure that we continue to attract a diverse pipeline into the real estate industry. And so what we are currently planning, and, you know, this is going to take many, many months to come to fruition, is trying to partner with some of the local city colleges in Chicago to um, to bring programs into those classrooms to basically uh, educate these students Mm -hmm. on what, you know, the real estate industry and what are the different career paths they can take. And if they are interested, how can we, as the DEI committee, provide resources? How can we help them find internships? How can we enhance their learning opportunities? So that's specifically what we are focused on as at the DEI, um, as part of the DEI committee. 
Thank you so much, Navi, for accepting my invitation and then for sharing your insights with MHN. Of course. Thank you so much, Laura. It was great to talk to you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And don't forget to check multihousingnews.com for the latest news, trend stories, and podcasts. Mm-hmm.